Hello, I'm Ariel Crude. And I'm Christina De La Rocha. Welcome to Season 3 of Solarpunk Presence. The podcast introducing you to the people working today to create a future we'd like to live in. Because if Solarpunk as a genre of fiction dreams about the just and sustainable world we'd like to live in in the future, Solarpunk as a movement rolls up its sleeves and gets down to the business of bringing it about in the present. Welcome to Solarpunk Presents, Season 3, Episode 7, featuring the Solarpunk hacker, and renowned futurist John Threat. By the way, you should go be a part of John Threat's Solarpunk Future Garden. So get yourself to the Visions 2030 Earth Edition Festival of Eco-Consciousness, running from September 15th through the 24th, 2023, at CalArts in Santa Clarita, just outside Los Angeles. For info and tickets, go to www.zukunft.garden. That's www.zunkunft.garden with a D. But before we continue, Ariel would like to break in to say, We're a two-person operation, and we need your support to keep making solarpunk content. If you like what we do, please consider supporting the podcast over at our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash solarpunkpresence. There are a few different tiers for subscribers who get early access to episodes as well as bonus content written by myself and Christina. Consider rating and reviewing us as well and sharing this episode with your friends and people who might be interested in the podcast. Thank you for supporting the Solar Punk community. Now, on to the episode. Let's jump right in and let John Threat tell us all about his Solar Punk Future Garden. Yeah. I'm working on the Zukunft Garden, and basically it's an installation that's like a spontaneous multiplayer experience where it's like a experiment in community, like a, a spontaneous community coming together um, in a lot of ways, sort of like Burning Man, except that it's more of a, you know, <laughs> in, a, in a forest, but maybe less Burning Man spectacle, more about just the elements that community is the new hero and bringing people together is more important than the rugged individualism that defined the previous era of humanity. All right, so now the Zukunft Garden comes from the idea about, all right, it started like this. I had a party in New York City for New Year's, right? And what happened is growing up, uh, but you know, I would celebrate Christmas. That was what was what happened. But we had like plastic, you know, tree primarily. I was an inner city kid in Brooklyn, um, from Brownsville, Brooklyn, originally. Yeah, we had a plastic tree and that was fine for me. I mean, I wasn't really particularly connected to nature. Well, well, they had some plants, but you know what I mean? She was into purple, purple violets or something. No. Uh, oh, no African, African violets? Iron violets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very purple and green, yeah. very beautiful mm-hmm. plants, right? So she would have those around the house. But like we had this plastic aluminum tree i don't know that was the era that i came up in people had foldable trees you reuse and put out right for better or worse whatever the materials are made out of poison that's separate the main thing is that we weren't chopping down trees at a certain point the cities had become infused with people i guess who were used to growing up with fresh trees so they started having all these farms to make 
Christmas trees. Now everybody wants a fresh pine tree for Christmas, right? I would talk to them and they'd be like, oh, you know, we have a special farm and we cut it down and you know what I mean? And we regrow it and we have it in cycles. But every time they grow a bunch of these trees and cut it down, they're cutting down living creatures, potentially could be even sentient, maybe an intelligence that we don't really understand. You know, as we learn more about, you know, mycelium networks and how they talk to each other and trees move to accommodate other trees. It also leaches precious life-giving materials from the ground. Every time you grow a tree up and cut it down, it's like, it's a, it's a huge waste. And now, so everyone wanted these trees and I couldn't, you know, I, for me, I couldn't understand it. It was just a gap for me. It was a very obvious gap. So anyway, what would happen after Christmas in New York City was that the street was covered in people throwing out trees before New Year's, these living, beautiful, you know, beautiful smelling trees whose cut off stem was literally crying out for water. Like, yo, I could still, I don't have my roots, but I can still live. But then they were cast out on the street too. They weren't even like taken for like mulch or anything to be, to complete the cycle of rebirth. So I gathered a bunch of these trees, I put them inside my place and had an awesome party. And what happened was everyone was like, yo, that party was epic. It was all these like little places. It was like a mini forest inside my place. It was like a dance floor. It smelled good. There was like places where people were like kissing. I think everyone in that party actually got kissed or whatever. I mean, that, that, that should be a metric. I think I'm saying that more because it's one of those things where it was so magical that, like I said, even the person who was like, oh, I don't have any, the one wanted to kiss <laughs> me in the magic of the forest. It was incredible. Everyone was like, I can't believe it. You know, people were having like deep conversations because you could like in this mini forest inside of there, even with the music raging there, there was like this quiet, like the trees just made, you know what I mean? It's, it was just, it just was an epic party. And no one had, you know, in my friend circle had seen this. And, you know, like they talked about it forever. So out of that idea came the idea about that kind of like spontaneous thing of like a multiplayer sort of like installation, well, like a social sculpture where the people are the installation, if that makes sense, you just set the stage properly in the sense like, yo, unexpected nature, like where are you at now? How does that, does that ease your anxiety? Does that make you want to connect? slow down, relax, express yourself fully. And that's what happened. So, and then in my travels to Germany, when I was working there, I was impressed with like interacting with like the emergent solar punk stare, which is where the name sort of comes from. You know what I mean? I was like, oh, all right, all right. Um, and then in, in my discussions there, like it started to shape up. So when I returned to the States, yeah, this idea was born. One of the places I work for is a futurist organization called Visions 2030. That's visions2030.studio. And what we do is we put together thinkers and scientists and everyday people. And our goal is to inspire imagination for optimistic futures, which once again, lines right up with solar punk ideology. So it makes sense that I'm one of the resident futurists there. So we're putting on this event called Earth Edition Eco Consciousness, which is going down September 14th to the 24th at Cal Arts in Los Angeles, where it's like you'll be able to come. There'll be a bunch of different artistic 
installations. I'm going to have a bunch of radical speakers come through. Like I have Jody Evans from Code Pink coming to speak to the students and visitors to the campus and other people. I mean, including myself, who has a background in sort of direct action as well as expert in sort of like more surreptitious action. It's probably I shouldn't mention because then it wouldn't be surreptitious <laughs> anymore. But, you know, but I do like subversion. I like subversive content in the sense that like when you want to change things fast, one of the things that works fast is that idea of like culture jamming and stuff. Like, I'm, are you familiar with culture jamming? Um, probably not then, as much as I should be. So, so what is it? Yeah, culture jamming is all about like sort of like working what exists to get your message out. If you use what's dominant in a culture, you can change it quickly. An example was like during the BLM movement at a certain point, all these people were posting all this racist stuff on Twitter at the time. And like the K-pop bands like assisted the BLM stuff by retagging everything and it sort of jammed their communication channels um, so effectively because it was like a culture jam. Like, like that's one idea of culture jamming. There's many ways to do it. But basically, you know, when you can, I mean, this happens on a negative, when you can associate something already existing as a meme or a message or something in society, if you can tag onto that, you can can make change. I mean, that's why music's so powerful as a medium for change. And that's one of the interesting things is that music also got co-opted at a certain point. Music was amazing. It helped the civil rights movement in America. It has caused people revolutions. One song has caused revolution. They've thrown musicians in jail, poets and other artists too. I don't want to, I want to, I want to say it. it's the breath of art. But but just specifically music, there was a time when music was all about change. It was anti-war with the Vietnam War and other things. And yo, now music is about nothing. And so it's no longer a vector for, you know, for revolution or change in society. It is a status quo currently. I'm not saying it won't change. At the moment, there's no such thing as protest music. It's always no, it's all been it's kind anesthetized. Of, it's been, it's kind of, it's kind of like the other side learned how to defuse the power of it. Yes. I often say, like, if a rebel appeared, like, a, you know, everything from, you know what I mean, from a Dolores Hecate or like or Martin Luther King, they would interrupt them by giving them a book deal and a TV show. Yeah. And that would be the that, that would be the end of their rebel run of their movement, because that's what, you know, I think they like you said, they figured that part out um, and made that very alluring. So it's very hard for that sort of thing. Although, like I said, I do think the pendulum is swinging back. I think there's lots of young leaders who are eschewing that. And also, too, some of it just lost its power. Like the idea of, of those kind of things of me having a talking head TV show is like less appealing now to a leader than it was before. Before it was like, oh, wow, I made it. Sorry, guys. Maybe I'll be able to spread my message more. Nope, you won't. But I think now that has lost this luster um, for the current crop of upcoming like thought leaders on subjects. So. so you're going to set up a little forest and then you're going to have all sorts of, you're going to have speakers, you're going to have music, you're going to have music. Yeah. I got and a so bunch just, of music artists. So you're creating this like space that's got atmosphere. Sometimes it's got information coming out. 
and presumably it's got nooks and crannies because you've got trees and stuff. And so then you just want to see how people interact with all of this or how people behave in the middle of all of this. Yeah, just let it be free. Like, I feel like we like one of the things I did with my students at Cal Arts, we had this in the hacktivism thing. We like created this like screen that anybody could submit information to. You could put your art on it, crazy messages, messages against the administration at the school, whatever you want, your anything. And it was just funny because my one of my students who was super smart, but he was so skeptical. He was like, we got to put a security camera on it. Someone's going to steal it or this, that. And, he, you know, and I was like, dude, you're thinking about it all wrong. You know what I'm saying? Like, if we're going to do this, just let it be. Let's let it ride. Let's see what happens. Enjoy the journey. But also, too, like, you should trust the thing. And what happened is it didn't get stolen. You know why? Because once it became useful to the community, why would why would anyone steal it? There was no purpose because it became part of the community. So even though there was like, you know, concern about thefts on campus, nobody ever stole it. And he said like, yo, you really changed my uh, thought on processes. Like I didn't realize, you know, I, I was so jaded. All I could think of was like, they see something electronic worth money and someone's going to steal it. If people see value in things, you know, we shifted value away from things that matter to things that don't matter. That's why people, you know, you have songs about flying in G5s and private jets, like, and then, you know, there's no value. Once you reach it, you realize, yo, it's just a, another highly cost expensive thing that's ruining the environment. And like, it's so, so elite to yourself. How you even enjoy it? You're like begging people to ride with you. Please ride on my jet so you can notice me that I'm rich and have power. Like, I think, like, is an interesting trap in that sense. Like, now you, you know, we've assigned these values. So I think that's the thing. Like, if something has value to the community, people are less likely to steal it or destroy it. Public work, it just sits out there. I mean, that's one great thing. Like, even like public parks, like a lot of times, you know, you don't really see destruction in public parks. You do see things like litter, unfortunately. You know what I mean? That's part of like, you know, sometimes, you know, the mass is not necessarily understanding the full value proposition. When they don't understand the value proposition, a lot of time that comes down to education. But in general, people aren't like, let's say, trying to destroy like swings. You might see a little graffiti on it. But honestly, in my travels around, you know, on different continents, I haven't seen wide destruction of park equipment. And I think that's because we, un, you know, that value proposition is understood. So even if you're like feeling rowdy as a teenager, you're like, yo, it doesn't, I have, remember being on these slides. I'm not going to destroy the slide. I'm not going to kick it over. There's a lot of things I want to destroy my youthful energy. The slides isn't one of them. Like I said, that doesn't mean there isn't destruction at parks, but like it's just it's interesting that I haven't seen that widespread kind of destruction because the value proposition to society and the community is something that we all understand. So in putting other things in context with that, that's what I think ultimately will make, you know, like that, for instance, with that project that, you know, my student, you know, began to understand if it created a value. And I think that's the power of that particular art is that the the social sculpture is like making art that sort of includes 
the community and then it gives it value, which in some ways public parks, you could say, are like the original, like, you know, social sculpture in a way, creating a, an environment for people to come together there in various ways as they see fit. And that's really at the heart of the Zukunft Garden. It's almost like, you know, here's a like park, like an impromptu park where you wouldn't have expected it. And let's see what happens. Wow. So you hope that people will will meet new people, will forge new relationships, will have ideas about what they want the future to be? I mean, what kind of breakthrough do you want people to have there? Yeah, no, that's a good that's a good question. I think like, yeah, I definitely would like them to forge new connections. I think a lot of that is really when you leave things open like that, like that's the other thing about the whole rugged individualism thing. Like I think about how that affected so many, how they structure so many experiences, you know, like, oh, here you are, your individual, like the the individual bubble wrapped container instead of like able to like interact with other people. Like we, you know, we have, you know, sort of like, uh, like I said, that you could see that, you know, all over with ideas, you know, and even like the commodification of things and but just in general, we could use more of the spontaneousness of community and letting let it set the stage and let it be what it is. You know, I think that is what's great because you can even think about it like, all right, for instance, like movies, right? We go to the movies and the social contract for some people is you go to the movies and you're quiet and stuff. But really, a lot of the magic in watching a movie is discussing it. Like people go on dates and they discuss it. And that's great. But like it is interesting to discuss it in a wider thing. People discuss it online endlessly. And that's like kind of like the, the magic of the art form is the discussion of the film afterward that we all saw this thing and we can like agree or disagree about the, what the message was. But it causes a discussion and a community around it and stuff. Mainstream movies do suffer from a lack of message or they do have a message in it. I think some of the messages are okay. I like some of the messages for sure, but there's also a greater good message that is missing from movies now. They've gotten really good on identity, but really bad on the greater good. That's just gone. That's just, that's, that's anesthetized right out. <laughs> and it's definitely a process behind the scenes. Like one time I was going to do this doc on um climate and they were like okay we're gonna give you the money but you can't talk about microplastics i was like why not because the water bottle company and i was like okay i got I, i'm gonna walk away we need a breakthrough in that i think right now you know their profit is was key i think they could make they can make profit without that but they decide you know it's just it's just a quick narrowing once again i look at the pendulum might swing back you know, one of the things in shifting the streaming is that that also allows potentially for upstart streamers to start to appear because in a lot of ways, the cable box disappearing is allowing the playing field to even out. And all you need is a couple of breakthroughs. And, you know, I think, yeah, I just think the pendulum will swing on that eventually. But at the moment, all messages about the greater good have been anesthetized. It's all pro-war. It's all... September 11th was also another really bad thing that happened to the movie industry. Yeah, for sure. It became, you know, uh, jingoistic, I guess. Like, definitely. I mean, 
you know, a lot of films are supported by, you know, the military industrial complex on the download. Like they don't talk about it, but, you know, they receive a couple of million to make sure that the film has messages that are not anti-war. Yeah. And kind of glorification right. of going out and sacrificing yourself for your country. And also murdering as many people as possible as a solution yeah. to a problem, which is, you know, that's one thing about American cinema versus other cinema is that, you know, we actually hear some, like, that is the way to solve a problem. It's funny. It's like how you do it. You take out a gun and you shoot someone. That's, that's our. Yeah, it's really crazy. Mostly. You know, you know, so I, you know, if you watch a lot of science fiction movies, you think where it should be full of technology and imagination and, and. And yet, how do how do you they all end up in fist fights or you know laser gun battles or you know and you just think oh come on <laughs> no it's surely true, in the future we do better than that you know we solve problems some other way yeah no it's funny you say that because then if you look even at older sci fi like they would go into outer space and they either wouldn't use weapons right it was just about exploration or when they did use weapons what would happen is they'd run into something where the weapon was useless and now they have to use their brain to get out of it. But that's not true in modern movies. It's all about, like I said, there's no, there's very little alternative about that. Like literally everyone has become a fight. And then not only that, the characters, not only do they have to fight, but then they also have to be a hacker, super computer. Like there's no teamwork. There's no community. You know, I, you know, there's no 18 where like we're all different things to say one person they have to be the pilot they have to be able to do they can ride a motorcycle fly a plane spaceship well there's nothing they can't do to the point well then yo that's once again like the that's like the ultimate and rugged individualism not community where it's like yo you're good at this you're good at this why don't we team up and we make something happen we share our skills together we all learn from each other no it makes that thing where it's like i could do it myself <laughs> if you could make a solar punk movie what would a solar punk movie be because there haven't been solar punk movies have there i think there is actually there's been quite a few i mean there's the argument that like uh some of there's been like solar punk anime films okay. like okay. valley of the wind and, and stuff i think princess monocle okay I think yeah you could say a lot of those are pre-solar punk i think there's uh i watched a film the other day i can't remember the name of it but it was very solar punk in the sense that it was like set in nature a sci-fi film a return i think i think there's some examples of some pre-solar punk films i don't think there's any i think right now we need that i'm working on a film right now it's called don't talk to trees which is actually all about talking to trees <laughs> positively um that's like my first art is really film doing music videos on the side of the thing i mean just so a quick background on me like i'm i used to be uh, i don't know about used to be I, I i'm a computer hacker i used to break into systems also an ex-con i went to jail for it for some time they put me in jail um you could argue that maybe i shouldn't have went to jail but being who i am they was like nah this guy you, we gotta put you in jail which you know that's part of life uh, which also, you know, helped shape my worldview. Can't, it, they can't not. I spent time doing security for corporations, which I didn't really like. I've worked for private individuals who were really rich, which I also was very enlightening. I wound up working mostly for 
you know, I would say arguably good people, but also just the nature of wealth is just, and I and the drive to make ultra money. Talk about when you already have billions is, I mean, you just can't help but wind up doing things that exploit people. It just, you know, like at a certain point, you could just walk away. You've got enough money for you and your generations. But ultimately, it wasn't something I enjoyed. But then the security stuff sort of took a turn doing more positive stuff, which was good. And then I started doing film stuff. So I still would do some positive stuff. Like that includes like human trafficking related stuff, hacking for that kind of stuff or security vice. More, I'm more hacker side. I'm more in the hacker side. I'm more the, the more exciting side. But of course, that also, you know, can get you in trouble still, even when you do it for the right reasons. And that even includes in the corporate structure, by the way. When you play the edge, you're, you can easily fall on the wrong side of the law or political shifts or worse. But anyway, so I was like, you know what? I like, I like being alive. So I think I'm going to do something else. You know what I mean? So now I was doing film because um, I had all these great stories. I did that. But also, too, I also got really good at doing like, so I wouldn't say my work is commercial. It was very subversive still. But still, it was like things about it that made me question like, what am I doing? Like, I think the part that was good was communicating stuff to young people. But like I said, I was running into issues where like, well, you can't do that because of this plastic bottle company. And I was kind of like, hmm, like if they're going to restrict the message, I need to find a different way. Mm. So now I'm veering more into like independent film stuff rather than through the system, which is a harder grind. But at the same time, you know, I'd rather make a film unrestricted the way I want to make it, then spend five years doing it through the system only for them to slowly, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I recognize that as subversive. Cut that yeah. out. Recognize yeah. that as, as a message. Cut that out. That's just like a little background on me. Okay. But yeah, I'm doing this the film called Don't Don't Talk to Trees, which I'm really excited about, about a woman that figures out how to connect two trees and communicate with them. And there's a whole world there to explore that we didn't realize was there. Based on real research too, by the way, about sort of like the oh, research. Okay. Like, there's even some plants that can like, that do some biomimicry. I mean, it's amazing what some plants can do. And the thing about that biomimicry, here's the, the thing that becomes aware is that there's a chance that certain plants can actually see with their leaves. Okay. So. Because to be able to do them biomimicry, they mm. have to switch their leaf shape. They have mm -hmm. to be able to see the leaf they're copying. So they, they may be rudimentarily be able to see like the shade, the, the light mm. shape, which would make sense because obviously the, um you know, generally leaves are photo, you know, they. they yeah, they, yeah, they've they, got they, all sorts of photosynthetic pigments, which absorb light, right? right? And they can respond, right. they respond to light levels. They can pack more pigments in there. They can have they have accessory pigments that can that can collect slightly different wavelengths i mean they're yeah they're not passive so it makes, creatures yeah so it makes sense that there's a there is a possibility that they can actually see no that's really out, interesting you know, mm -hmm. shapes and so that way because there's a couple of plants that can shape their leaves to other leaves to okay various survival strategies so that would be amazing that like, yo, potentially you walk by a tree and the tree is like, oh, I, uh, I, you know what I mean? I remember your face, you know, and like, it's just kind of ill. I think, um, but I think that, like I said, there's a whole world. So like on that cutting edge research, this film is sort of like pulling from that for its storylines. Okay. How fun. 
Um, so at what point, so yeah, you've you've traveled quite a path through life. At what point did you think, I'm an artist? I think in a lot of ways, I always thought I was an artist. I think that it's one of those things I'm probably on the lucky side in a way that like, it sort of like found me a little bit. Don't get me wrong. I had to, I mean, the thing about life is that it's also, you have to be aware of the opportunities that present themselves. I mean, that's even true on a subsistence level in life. We just have to be aware. So I don't want to say it's luck, but in some ways is a part in luck too, that like life does have some luck in it. But I think like other people began to recognize the artistic parts of me. Like I think like the film thing was a huge struggle thing until it wasn't, you know, they tried to shape me to do X and then like I had to leave to come back to be able to do Y. Not going with that's been working out well. I think and same with the artistic thing. Like I think, you know, I always was artistic, but then like I said, I just persevered. And so like someone was just like, yo, like, what are you doing? Maybe this is really, really good and had the right conversations and stuff. I mean, that's also part of it and learning to be open and stuff. You know, that's part of just in society. Like, I think it could be hard for people sometimes, especially in the age of the digital age, growing up in it and like trying to be open to people. The other thing too, that helps to me, and this is something that I love about solo punk is that like a long time ago, like I shared a lot of like tribal stuff. Like it's easy for me to talk about politics. Like if somebody's politics is different from it's very easy for me to talk to them because I don't get offended by their thing. And I realized some of that is my path through life. It wasn't necessarily what people would consider privilege, but there was some privilege there. I had some privilege. I grew up in the in the in what you would really call a very violent. Um, ghetto, very violent. But I also think that has also made me a calm person. So I'm not like nervous around people. I mean, it's like I said, there's trade-offs. That that's a trade-off. You know, I was poor. So like for me, like, you know, wealth doesn't really mean that much to me per se. Like the class issues that people have. Some people see me and you can see their class. They're like, you're not in my class. I don't want to interact with you. There's no skin off my nose because I wasn't, it's not like I was having fun with you anyway. So <laughs> not, you know what I'm saying? Like, I didn't, it's not like I have a wealth of that, of, of that kind of like cul-de-sac kind of people um, around me. I should say cul-de-sac a little, a little further up, more like the isolated mansion. So it's fine with me, but I think like that, just being open and not like, you know, like all of, just all the things, like I just shed all that. And I, I think that, I think that's also the mark of like some of the futurists that I've read. Like they just shed all that, like all that stuff about gender. I did like what, like that expression is beautiful in those people. That's not, you know what I'm saying? Why would I want to control what they're doing? Just like I wouldn't want them to, I want to accept them and find out more. I don't want to find out less. You know what I mean? If that, if that makes sense. I'm like, if anything, there's more of a reason I want to speak to you and figure out rather than the person who has like, ensconced themselves in dogma and you know what I mean and created a, a persona that that's not them that's screaming to be shattered because it was never them they've erected this cold war and then one day wall and then one day you know they scream out like why did I do this to myself well, you know you you know I was never true to who I am and I think that is a part you know that is freeing like for instance like you know we are social creatures right 
And a lot of people become antisocial because they can't, you know, it's difficult for them to find their place. And But sometimes that's because they have all these preset notions about people that they can't shed. So they want, their antisocial is really because they're refused, they have not acquiesced that it's actually their refusal to accept other people for who they are. Like, what does it matter? What, you know, like I said, like, you know, whatever. It doesn't even, like for me, I've said, like I said, I said that a long time ago. Some of it is you could consider a privilege, like going to prison through me into the mix with a, a lot of different people at close quarters. And yeah, you know what? We all had fun. Yeah, there was some fights, but, you know, it's mostly, you know, there was also humanity too. I think, um, you know, and then and definitely travel always helps in that. Although there are some people who travel and become, you know, jerks too, who don't, they don't, they're not open to the experience. They go to exploit. They don't actually go to, you know, connect to people. But for the people that do, they become enriched. But anyway, I say that only because I think like that's an important, oh, oh, let me tie that back to solar pump because that is one of the tenets I love about solar punk, that idea of post identity is so good. And obviously for someone like me, ex-con, I present as a, as a black male, you know what I mean to societies for whatever that means. I don't spend a lot of time thinking about it, to be honest. It's not something I specifically work on is that. Cause like I said, I'm sort of a, I'm a solar punk and also a futurist. And like I said, some of the best futurists I know have put that up, you know, they put like nation state stuff to the side. Like that's not, if we want to get to the Star Trek future, like we have all of the national stuff and blah, blah, and all the identity stuff that has to be put aside. We're not going to be able to do that if that is the future for us. I mean, you know, I'm also think, you know, we should invest in earth. I'm into space. I'm not anti like space person per se. No, we could but do both. We could do both, but to get there, we're not going to do it with the petty squabbling no. over resources here on the planet. And when I say petty, it's really no. It's we really can't petty. It's, we we can't let the businessmen colonize Mars or no, the moon no, or no, any of that. It can't. Yeah, yeah. like Total Recall, that movie. <laughs> great, you know, with the, the the mayor, he's like, ah, I found some minerals. I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> choke these people out. You know, to get the, to, you know, so I can make more money to extract the resources instead of sharing it. You could still wind up being rich and share it is the thing. You know, I think one of the things, there was a, a write up by, you know, Andrew Carnegie about that for him, you know, that you had to give back as a rich person. He was like, you know, the teachers that taught me the roads that my trucks roll on, all of that is from the public good, like me extracting to the point where, I'm a negative, you know what I mean? Like ultimate profit. Obviously, most rich people don't follow that. But what I was saying is that I thought it was he wrote an interesting treatise on it for, you know, for other rich people to think about. But not everyone thinks that way. They think that these roads and the other things, these public works are, you know, for, you know, that's just there and they just exploit yeah. it and they never think about that this is actually money and resources and time that comes from the people but then as they extract the money they don't give back to any of that schools whatever it is in fact they'd rather destroy those things how did you discover solar punk yes so that's a good question i think my main thing was the guy in trinidad andrew i think his video treatise on it was so brilliant 
and so expansive about all the tenets of it that I think that's how I came to it. I think I I think like a lot of people, I probably started with the um aesthetic stuff and I was like, oh, this really appeals to where I'm at right now. But then when I started, when I think I saw his video and the parallels to optimistic futuring, that really zonked me. And I mean, I actually was on a, I think I did a solar punk, yeah, I did a solar punk um panel thing. No, not a pet, like a conference and stuff. I went, I did a, I did a talk there. Andrew was there. We all, it was virtual, but Andrew, you know what I mean? It was very instrumental for me to come, to come fully into solar punk. Cause before that, I was definitely a cyberpunk. I definitely reveled in as an accelerationist sort of part of it is a survivalist in me. Like from my kind of background, I always feel like I'm like, you know, trying to, survive the elements of the world set against me kind of thing so that is a core tenet of me so that part but that has also returned into thoughts of resiliency and and celebrating the resiliency in humans when people see like homeless encampments it's terrible if there's anything i could do personally to change it i will or change the fate of even one person there but one of the things i see there is the resiliency of the human beings there not the like some people like you know they don't see that they you know this is something i see like yo i can't believe how some of them figure stuff out they figure out electricity they figure out like how to get a job while homeless you know some people figure out okay like i don't want a job but i could create a small environment for myself that gives some kind of safety to myself tasks for myself during the day that keep me busy for survival trading stuff trading resources trading information you know i think that that's the part i think is a, is not only amazing and inspiring but also part the na- the natural part of humanity that we can survive the climate crisis for instance you know what i mean and part of that will be communities and sharing information but not in the sense of like sharing information with you know facebook <laughs> that, yeah, that, that no. kind of sharing information <laughs> okay and then i have i have one last question for you it has to do with ai yeah because this is something I struggle with understanding, and I've really only heard one side. So, um, and I think you'll you'll probably be able to give me the other side. AI art and solar punk. How is AI art solar punk? What are your thoughts on that? Because I know okay, you, you so use I, a lot I, of it, right? So yeah, yeah, so yeah. Tell, and, I, and there's tons of it. There's tons of it on Instagram, and I know there's this view where it's like, oh my god, it's stealing other people's work. It's not giving them credit. Da 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 da. But obviously, there's a big. A lot of people are using it um, to create visions of the future. So it's yes. it's obviously not a completely bad thing. So let me just hear what you have to say about it. Okay, so first let me talk about Earth Edition, the conference, right? So first of all, at Earth Edition, eco consciousness event at Cal Arts, right? The website, which is Earth Edition Festival LA, you're gonna have like a dome there where you can use AI to dream up your future, no matter what you think the future is going to look like. And the AI will make the image for you. And then if you elect to, we will store it, right, for posterity. But more importantly, host you generating the image or images you want via AI in this dome. You then go speak to mentors who help you figure out action steps to creating the future 
that you want. This is like an amazing experience that, you know, that people should come to. And this lines up with the idea that AI can be solar punk because it is about optimistic futuring and using the tools. So yeah, I'm not anti-AI. Now, one thing about AI on one hand is that it consumes a ton of resources, electricity, it also, although you could have solar powered AI, certainly, but just putting that aside, it consumes resources. It uses chips that use rare earth elements. It is definitely, in one sense, resource heavy. On the other hand, it is a tool that we can use how we want to use it. And that's the part to me that I would talk about. And this comes from me obviously being a hacker and on more on the rebel side of things and, a, and not a corporatist style person, is that the corporations and nation states are going to use AI. They're going to use it to extract value from society. They're going to use it for control. They're going to use it for everything. There's not one thing they're not planning on using it for to get an advantage. You know how to mitigate that advantage is that if you are not part of that structure, or even if you are, you have to maintain the ability to understand AI to be able to upset or get around AI. You need your own AI. Like me, I have my own server in AI that I explore how to use it to stay on top of how it works intimately. But I also use it for, you know, for, for visual exploration. Now, in terms of like, right, anytime an artist works, there are people who will create new works out of scratch. But ultimately, that's not really true. They are, all of us are a summation of looking at different things you know even if your art is way unique you absorbed other influences are you going to go back and pay them no now do i think if someone creates an ai artwork that looks just like an existing artist's work yeah well they probably have and they publish it for money i think in the current system they have the grounds to certainly you know sue now the question is is it the tool? Do you like, for instance, if somebody copies your work, right, one for one? Do you do Photoshop or do you sue the person who is selling works based on your work? You sell, you sue the person, and I think it's the same a bit with AI. Now, I do understand what they're saying, like, well, they train their thing on my art, but they're working on training it on people's work that is in the public domain fully. Like, I don't think. The way it works is that it still would be able to create work just like an existing artist. It is like the same as, you know, it is a, like a search engine seed that just stores all these different images. And then it, from using from that, it could create almost any image, you know, I think. And like I said, that would include, but let's say a given artist's work might have a unique signature. That AI could you could build a database that has never saw that person's artwork and yet replicate it because it, it's pulling in photos, it's pulling in drawings, animation, abstract art, it's pulling in all these things and it recreates the pixels based on the description. And that description could match your work. And I think you could also say there's a part of it that's also a smack in the face about how like the nature of image itself. I don't think that way. I also, this is the other thing I deeply believe is that one thing that's interesting about AI and image generation is that the way human beings' minds work 
and our abilities are amazing. We'll adapt to it. If it starts doing that, people are going to come up with art that's like that doesn't use AI, that's better than AI. It'll be, they'll be forced, and maybe force is the wrong word, but just inspiration. They'll just be like, I'm going to make something that AI can touch. And that's part of the human resiliency. I mean, you even see that with like sports. You see people break a, you know, make a record, it stands for 10 years, 20 years, and someone breaks it. You're like, it's impossible. How did they do that? How does this marathon runner run 13 miles an hour the entire thing without stopping? They thought that was impossible that someone would just die trying to do that. But no, some people are doing that on the regular now. And I think it's the same with art. Some people will figure out how to incorporate AI into it. Some of it will just be a little bit. Some of it will be the whole thing. Some of it will use the AI in a way you've never seen before. Other people will make art that AI can't even replicate. And it'll be, I mean, one day it will. But at the moment they make it, AI will break. Can't do it. <laughs> Too good. <laughs> Like it just that, and I think that is the part where it's almost like a catalyst for us to think up new things because AI will represent this database of old ideas, and we'll have and the way we beat it is to come up with new ideas, and that it'll be like a gift. It almost pushed us to be the best we could be. Oh, that's excellent. That is an excellent way of thinking about it. Thank you. <laughs> I. I I really like looking at it that way. Okay, I think I think you've changed my mind. But also, it's important though. Definitely, if you want, if you are negative on AI, don't ignore it. Make sure you understand it so you can beat it because it'll be there. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, don't, you can't just ignore. Uh, you can't just be a luddite because no. because it will infiltrate your life anyways. No, or or just team up with the rebel that does. Yeah. understand how to defeat it or get around it or you know exercise yeah it's just well, that, I mean, that is definitely the, the warning side of it and that is the solar that is the solar punk way of doing it is not to ignore it but to to embrace the technology embrace it and 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 make sure that it fits into our world in the proper context well thank you very much for talking to me um thank and... you for i'm so glad that we connected it has been a lovely conversation i really enjoyed it i i wish you very well for your installation and i'm really sad i can't be there (laughs) i'm stuck here in germany i really wish you were there i really wish you were there but however i will send you videos from it um because certainly i'm going to document it oh yeah i'm really looking forward to those and good luck with your film um hope someday i get to see it uh yeah that'll be really, really cool all right Well, again, thank you very, very much. Indeed, thank you. Have a great day. And that's a wrap. If you're in the L.A. area, be sure to go play in John Threat's future garden, the Zukunftgarten, September 15th through 24th, 2023, at CalArts. Check in the show description for links. Thank you for listening to SolarFunk Presents, a podcast Hosted and produced by Ariel Kroon and Christina Della Rocha. The audio for this episode was recorded in part on the traditional territory of the neutral Haudenosaunee and Anishinaabe peoples. And in Germany. The opening and closing music for this podcast is Water Cooler Gang by Monkey Warhol. Available for use under the Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 International License. 
If you like what we do and want to support the podcast, join our Patreon at www.patreon.com backslash solarpunkpresence. Or share the podcast with friends, family, and people you know who might be interested in our guests and what we have to say. We'd also love it if you could write us a nice review on your podcatcher of choice, because every review bumps us higher in the algorithm's priority, so we can reach more listeners. Until the next episode, keep dreaming and keep up the good work.